right, we're gonna jump into it. Uh, Dan's over here trying. <laughs> He's deciding if you should go Clark Kent or just straight. Maybe, 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 maybe I'll just leave him. <laughs> Um, a little bit different podcast. This is the first time I think ever uh, over the nine years of podcasts that I've had a patient on. Which Dan's not just a patient, also in the medical profession, which we're going to dive into. But um, well, I don't want to give away too much of the story because that's what the podcast is about. Is why Dan is here. So we're just going to jump into it. It's Dan Marvin. I'm not going to give any way any more hip information since you're a patient. Um, but kind of give us the lay of the land of. Uh, what were you doing in the medical field and why did you get into medicine in the first place? Um, my original plan actually was years ago was to go be a physician, but somewhere along the lines in college, I decided that, I don't know, I think I, I don't know, I think I got distracted by other things, probably girls and decided natural, yeah. <laughs> decided that, man, all that schooling probably wasn't going to work out for me. So uh, but I did, I did know that I wanted to stay there somewhere. So I ended up doing, uh, nursing school, uh, at UAB and, and then, um, mainly love pediatrics. And so that was kind of my love and is, is doing, um, pediatric medicine. And so when, and, and the way that becoming somewhat like a physician in that way was to become a nurse practitioner. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the short, of, short of it is, Ended up getting my master's at Sanford and family practice and, and, um, ended up practicing in emergency rooms, um, because I just love the, the practice of seeing patients treating acute illness and in emergency situations and then being able to hand them off and <laughs> would be nice. <laughs> the kind of, I guess in some ways, just the, being that have the energy and then the fast pace, fast pace and yeah. always moving. And uh, so it was really good. I did adult emergency medicine for the first few years of my career. And then me and a f- few buddies of mine went to children's hospital in the emergency room down there and started a group of mid-level providers down there. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I, where I was and where all the, all the stuff that we're probably going to talk about kind of started to occur. So was that ever tough? Like just being in pediatric emergent care, because I mean, oh yeah, it's tough with anybody. I mean, they're all humans, but like seeing kids in some of those scenarios. I mean, yes, I think you know, I think that come that would go along with like some of my story because I think <clears throat> just what you see on a daily basis, the the trauma, the just the just the things that you have to deal with on every single day i think it's one thing to see that stuff in an adult who has lived a significant period of time and then to relay that back to go to a child who you know infants Mm -hmm. bad things that happen with infants to you know teenage all the way up to teenagers things that you know they're supposed to have this long life Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's cut short and just really being able to having having to suppress all that emotion and kind of just keep working. And so that was kind of a very difficult thing, but yeah, that's, that was hard. Yeah. And we'll kind of table the, like you said, how, what effect that may have on what we're going to talk about here pretty soon. But is there, I don't know this cause I've never, you know, obviously been in that world. Is there a high prevalence of uh, avoidance behavior with like emergency room physicians and MPs and PAs and things like, alcoholism or activities to try to like get rid of the thoughts or is it just kind of a normal part of practice and you know that you picked that and um i think i guess i'm trying to make sure i understand the question i guess if i you know like a soldier mm-hmm. they have like they go out and do stuff and then like to you know drown stuff i'm not saying it has to be alcohol it could be you know if risk seeking behaviors, yes. be, you know, whatever it is, yeah. you see some correlation of people that are in that are also going to have to do something to offset that right. kind of like trauma. Okay. Or- um, I do, I do believe, I think mine was probably exercise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was in local CrossFit gym and I was there on my off days, sometimes two or three hours, mm-hmm. two or three workouts. Uh, maybe some, maybe some drinking here and there, yeah. but, but, most of mine was just keep moving. I think yeah. I, I was never able to slow down. So I'd leave the emergency room and then go keep moving. So that fast pace just took over. Yeah, just 
kind of was just what I knew because yeah. that's how I dealt with it. Yeah. So because it was easier to move than to sit still, yeah, like, <laughs> sit with thoughts. Or, yeah, yeah, sit with you know the things that I'm saying. Well, let's kind of dive into it. So, how long were you in practice before um, stuff started going south? Um, let's see. I started practicing in as a mid level since 2000. So, okay. and I ended up kind of fin- that when I started getting sick was probably 2015. I okay. think it's almost yeah, 14, 15. Years. Yeah, and I was a nurse before that in the emergency room there at Children's. Mm-hmm. So. Two decades worth yeah. of work before yeah. you know anything happened, and uh, so give us just a lay of the land of like what were some of the first things that did start happening. That you know, I mean, was it just uh, everything blew up at once, or slow little like clues that something was going on? Um, I think that I think it was one of those things where in the beginning it was I think it started to manifest itself in anxiety. I think it was a physiological response to probably not just work, but I think also the family and mm-hmm. and just kind of the, the whole picture at, at the time of having a stressful job we have one of my sons was born with pku and so there's a lot of stress that goes along with kind of getting him fed and mm-hmm. formula and and then just m- multiple other variables but it was just a moment of just kind of a high high Anxiety. I think. I think it was a physiological response to just the stress that was that was there mm-hmm. at that moment in time. But it just kind of progressively got worse, and then it, then it started to instead of just having like the the I guess the feeling of chest tightness, short of breath, to just a feeling you know you can't you're shaky or your mind's constant racing, I think eventually it turned into pain. Mm-hmm. So what was like, what was the first thing you experienced outside? Did you ever have panic attacks? Um, high level anxiety. Well, I think, I think I've always ha- been kind of an anxious soul, so to speak. I think it was a pain in hand. It's one of the fast paced. Right. Settings. Yeah. I think I, you know, now that I've done a lot of work, I can trace my anxiety back to my childhood and, and various variables back then, but I've kind of always been that kind of a nervous person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it just, I don't know if there was I'm trying to, I've had lots of time to think through this. You think I'd have a better. Well, we also know that like human memory, like you start to like change things in the timeline itself. Yeah. Like, either fit a narrative or just, you don't remember it. Like it actually happened. So especially, I mean, I know your history with like medication too. I mean, I'm sure it got blurry there in the middle at some point yeah. too. But Absolutely. what was the first major like pain thing that showed up? I I first presented with one day in the emergency room, started having a uh, pedundal neuralgia. Is essentially, what it what it started as it was just a pain that all of a sudden. I was like, man, this this is weird. It was a tingling weirdness that hurt to sit down, or just irritating. Mm-hmm. And um, and at the time, I was working out all the time, so I was I was correlated to that. Yeah, I correlated it to that, and but I didn't really stop working out at the time. Um, but I just kind of became more and more hyper focused on the pain. Mm-hmm. It, it just kind of became overbearing where at work I would have a cushion that I take with me to sit down and it was just a bizarre it just I became so focused on it it just I couldn't it just was so overwhelming yeah and then did that transition into like legitimate low back like yes. low back pain outside of that it did so the so it went from the pedundal neuralgia to low back pain and I think somewhere along the line that's when I presented to you for the first time. That's what I should have looked at your notes um before we did this, but I'm trying to remember and I mean you'll know better than I will probably. I think when I saw you, by the time I saw you you were having low back pain, you were also having some cervical pain already and that's what was kind of starting to blur like, well, is this like, you know, biomechanical or workout related or what's going on here? Um, can you remember, were you having any peripheral stuff? 
Um, I was. I was having some weird, uh, I guess, twitching, mm-hmm. you know, muscle fasciculations, and then I would be doing procedures and in, in in the ER, suturing or spinal taps, and my hands would start to just do weird things and like i can't explain what's going on here like uncontrolled movement or you just uh i think some of it was uncontrolled movement but then like i I, i'd get done with procedure and i come out and my hands would be just stiff and just numb and it was just bizarre Mm -hmm. i remember one one specific time when it really scared me was i was trying to uh, ind an abscess of a patient and i was trying to it was actually in a, in an awkward position, place, and I was trying to push my body part this way to kind of get to where I was. And all of a sudden, I just had like this jolting pain of my arm into my shoulder, into my neck. And I had to like literally walk out of the room to get my composure because I had no idea what had just happened. But it, it, it really freaked me out. Were you able to go back in? And- I was, but I had to literally go out, get the nurse that was in there with me i said give me just a minute i, I have to, i'll be right back so then i had to go back and then then finish the procedure did uh people that you're working with know what you're dealing with um they knew that i was in pain just, but at the same token you didn't know what you're doing but, with that, but at the time i didn't i didn't really know either um <clears throat> so early early on when no intervention like surgically or anything like were you doing anything medication wise on your own accord i mean if you're in this realm like how's this go just asking like i don't know again like are you seeing somebody for this like that can prescribe something or are you kind of like man I'm, i know what to take if i'm dealing with pain like or were you doing anything at all like that? well i think originally it was it was just ibuprofen yeah all the time uh maybe some goodies powders probably <laughs> I've had patients that it works for them. <laughs> and monster energy drinks on a regular People basis. People that aren't from the South. I know what we're talking about. But, <laughs> but uh, I think I originally started on like Clonopin, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of really helped me out in the beginning. Uh, just just kind of calm everything yeah, down. Yeah, the anxiety part of it. Yeah. And, uh, and then what, what ended up happening is with all this low low back pain originally i went to see my internist mm-hmm. and um they they did of course a prostate exam and and then said well it's not that and then let's do a um a ct of your abdomen just to see mm-hmm. if there's anything sitting in your pelvis and so it turns out that was the moment when it first kind of came out that i had a bulging l5 s1 disc and so that's kind of where the also, the focus went to right yeah, this away. external focus before pudendal pain, carrying around a donut. Yeah, you get an imaging yeah. finding, right? That wasn't usually or something. Which yeah, I actually kind of like it. I mean, based off the pudendal stuff, you know, obviously they went through prostate exam and abdominal mm-hmm. before like lumbar, which I think is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you and I have had numerous conversations. You know, the research well as I do about imaging findings and yep. lack of being tied to you know pain or whatever so it's kind of you know looking back like what are your feelings on that now when you knowing how well how did you handle that did you think oh that's what's causing my pain immediately or well i think when you're in so much pain and it's i mean you're talking at the one point i could barely walk yeah it's it's i mean you're it's it's hard um and i think being in a medical profession we were trained that there has to be something yeah. structurally wrong. So all of a sudden, here I am, I'm a disc. That has to be the answer. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where the focus went real quick. Yeah. And that's where I kind of got stuck in this moment of, you know, this has got to be fixed. We've got to figure yeah. this out because... Yeah, you're, and humans are designed like, I mean, we're like heat-seeking missiles for problem-solving when yeah. it comes like ailments, like internally. Yeah. Like, I see it all the time. Like, people are just like, what is it? What's wrong? What's yeah. wrong? Label it. But, you know, we know how bad that is from a nocebic standpoint, but, like, people want that. Mm-hmm. Like, you tell somebody they got Achilles tendonitis versus, like, a sensitized nerve that may be mm-hmm. worse when they run. And yeah. I mean, they just label. I mean, I hate to say that. They just want to know. So, 
you get a CT scan that kind of ancillarily finds a lumbar disc herniation. So from that point, what what happened from there? Like, what was the timeline of interventions that started to occur after that? Well, I think I started seeing. I think I started seeing you intermittently. Mm-hmm. You were doing, you know, lum- lumbar. I can't. I cannot specifically recall. Yeah, exactly. Probably uh, for mentioned like McKenzie protocol. Looking yeah. for because if I remember correctly, you also had which you had for a long time, like kind of bilateral peripheralization like mm-hmm. across like luteals and i don't i would have to look at your notes i don't think you had complete peripheral stuff like down either leg though and then you have like had diffuse no, yeah. back pain in your glutes i had no i had no ridiculous pain in yeah. the sense of you know would explain you know a disc and break right, like herniation, herniation. mechanical yeah. sensitization or anything and so, the, but, but after that, you know, the pain moved from my back to my neck to name it, pretty much. And your neck became more severe. It did. Was that after surgery? Um, I think it, it was beginning to erupt at the time uh, when I had the surgery on my neck. I think, I mean, on my back. Yeah. Um, and I think the, after the surgery, it Which you had, so you had a L five S one fusion, fusion. and then I remember succinctly because again, a timeline's hard for me to determine. We'd have to go through mm-hmm. every note, and I remember you coming in and you were having neck pain, and it was kind of like ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. It would be really bad, but then you'd be a little bit like it's nothing mm-hmm. bad. And you went golfing, and it was so bad that you literally like were getting sick, mm-hmm. like nauseated due to pain. Yeah. And that's where I was like, Dude, this is, I mean, you already knew something was up because I mean, right. had low back pain, you had a fusion, mm-hmm. nothing changed on the back end of the fusion. Um, and then you started having neck pain and I think you were having more upper extremity yeah. uh, symptomatology and then kind of nauseating pain. I was, that's where I was like, this is, you know, and I think yeah. we were doing a little bit of neck stuff and that's where I was like, this, not like I'm out, but something else is up. Yeah. Um, so what, when the neck stuff started happening, where in that mix did uh the stimulator was that way later like after yeah the it was it was way later i think the timeline i think in essence is i had the back surgery and at the time i was still still working i think after oh, surgery. yeah that's a good thing to point out. um i took some time off i took some time off of work and um had the had the fusion and then um essentially originally thought that it was successful but then not too long after that realized that yeah that wasn't that wasn't going to be the answer and then that's when the neck really exploded and then the time frame after that was you know i think i just became so hypervigilant about mm-hmm. every single thing in my body that i just could not I mean, the pain became so out of control that it was just, it was unbearable. And that's when, you know, the, my primary physician had prescribed me that been kind of in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, Lortab or, mm-hmm. or I think, I think it was hydrocodone or some variant of that. But, and that's kind of what became kind of simply so then too, is because, you know, here I am, you know, going to work and yeah, you know, Bad dose, high dose pain meds and clonopin and already having like motor function. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. and so, and then that's kind of once, you know, during this time, you know, my emotional self was on the downfall and then just my ability to, you know, I, I saw, you know, I was losing, gonna live, probably gonna lose my job. Mm-hmm. I wasn't gonna be able to function and, and I just kind of de- deteriorated from the you know emotional standpoint uh depression and and uh, and 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 then somewhere around that timeline, I can't remember maybe that was late two thousand and sixteen I think maybe seventeen I don't know I can't remember exactly specifically, but that's when I kind of had an internal simulator put in for my neck okay. and then that was. No bueno. No bueno. Okay. And then during all that, also, I don't know, again, before or after, but like things like gabapentin came in. Yes. And that's where 
I mean, you know this, this is nothing, you know, it sounds derogatory, but you come in and I mean, you literally were having trouble speaking, which then we couldn't tell like medication or other yeah. stuff because I mean, it was literally, I mean, you knew it too. Cause I mean, both from a medical professional, but I mean, you literally would be like, get frustrated because you couldn't like get yeah. words out. And, um, at some point pulled the trigger on disability from work, mm-hmm. um, cause he had to. Uh, so there, and then it kind of like, you know, as well as I do, like all this stuff, it's like chicken or egg, right? Like yeah. anxiety may have started this reaction and now you go into a depressive state, which then builds back on the reaction and mm-hmm. you got medications that are subduing pain and pain, maybe a communication. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, this is where chronic pain becomes, you know, it's such a, I mean, it's, it's so hard to touch, right? Cause you yeah. don't, you don't know what's going on. So at what point? So you've had lumbar fusion, you, you know, you're doing treatment with me here and there. I think we kind of started being way more hands off and like, you know, we got to, you know, especially after the pump or the um, simulator, how long, you didn't have that simulator that long though, right? No. And, uh, I was really, the stimulator actually became so annoying. It, it just, I think it's when you're in a hypervigilant state, you can, you can feel so, I kind of consider myself a feeler mm-hmm. at baseline, but then you throw in a stimulator that, you know, originally when they, they do a test run with it initially, mm-hmm. but I was on narcotics when I had the, and so the question was, which one's helping? Which one's helping? So I went ahead and got it, got it done because it seemed to help. But then once I kind of came down off narcotics a little bit, then I was like, oh, there's this little, zapping in my neck and I can feel it and then and then I had to have it removed because it was literally driving me bonkers. Yeah. So like that again, hypervigilance yeah. just kicked in on something new. Um so then that occurs, still on medication because you're still trying to manage pain mm-hmm. as best you can with this stuff. When did you start when did you start changing how you're looking at it because you're still kind of at some point on seek and destroy right yes lumbar fusion medication stimulator when did you start thinking like dude something else going on you know and start looking into this chronic pain model because correct me if i'm wrong were you aware of like this kind of stuff before this happened to you no absolutely not i was the medical models the the only thing that i knew and that that was, you know, structural. There had to be a reason. Right. So I went on this long um, uh, journey to figure out what was wrong. So I went to the Mayo Clinic. I went. I mean, you went to the Mayo into their pain management program, their right? pain rehab program, because uh, because I was so desperate for yeah. for a cure. And and oddly enough, is I think that was down there. Essentially, I was there for three and a half weeks, and this is after seeing their rheumatology, their orthopedics. They're trying to triage you, to right? Work. Yeah, and and they said none of them found anything that was significant. You're like, and so so <laughs> great. So, but we have this pain rehab program that we think you fit in great. And I'm going, well, okay, mm-hmm. insurance doesn't cover it, but okay. Um, so I stayed there for three and a half weeks, and essentially the program. Looking back at, at it now, it, it's right on in essence of, you know, they get you off the, wean you off your meds over this time period and then they get people moving through physical therapy mm-hmm. and then the walking. I mean, some people go in on wheelchairs and then come out walking. Right. It's actually ridiculous how, how, how some people were able to overcome mm-hmm. these things. But a lot of it is, I think, at that moment in time, when I went into the program, like the day before I entered the program, I got a diagnosis of small fiber neuropathy. And asked who made that diagnosis? Uh, um, my doc, one of the neurologists at uh, UAB. Okay. Yeah, they did skin biopsy. Right. So I literally was like the day before I, I was down there actually in the first day, and I get a call and it says, "Well, you got some, some small fiber neuropathy. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, you're going to have this the rest of your life, and it's going to hurt." And going. Great. So now I'm in. So now you enter a pain management program. The yeah. diagnosis that somebody just told you right to change. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that was helpful. Not funny, but we're not. But yeah. it was. It, you're looking back on it now. So then all of a sudden, I was thrown into this program where the theory is is that this is where the beginning of the some of my change in in my philosophy towards this was 
was that they believed in this hypervigilance where your brain kind of your neurological system gets revved up and mm-hmm. so so your pain obviously is going to increase and the goal is to kind of turn this down and and doing that you have to move you have to sleep you have to do all these things and so a lot of people i was still fairly active mm-hmm. but there's people much worse than me that would go in um, you know have crutches or what have you and being far worse than in case than i was and and uh and that's the thing is like i was still very fairly functional functional in essence but you know the program there you almost have to kind of be ready to heal in some Mm -hmm. ways and at that time i had just gotten this diagnosis and then i was thrown into this program where this guy was telling me hey this is all in your head it's almost like you're set up for failure right so 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 basically i was there for three and a half weeks i didn't sleep for three and a half weeks (laughs) um so uh he used to say I got, you know, I was moving again, moving better. And, but I got home and, um, really none of my environment at home changed. My situation didn't change. So I kind of was thrown right back into where I was before. Mm-hmm. And so and then just this theory of, Hey, this pain, the pain is all on your, on your head kind of, which is not really what he was saying. Right. But, but why this doesn't make any sense. And so, but then that led to just kind of another spiral down into the abyss, as I call it, to uh, I'm never going to get out of this. This is awful. And then back up medications again. And then, you know, basically non-functional, you know, trying to destroy my marriage and my family and everything else. Because when you're in pain, you're angry and yeah. frustrated. And I remember you telling, I mean, I saw you at some point after Mayo, and I remember you literally telling me, like, that was a waste of time. Like, they just told me that you were just, like, they told me it was on my head, but now I got this diagnosis and that you had this, like, diverging paths, and you're mm-hmm. like, you just tell me, like, what the hell? Like, you know what I mean? Um, stuff gets kind of dark, maybe at one point. Like, what was, a, like, what was the turning point then? So if you're just like, man, I'm never going to get rid of this, like, what do you do? Like, where did you start saying, well, I got to do something different, or what was the catalyst? You know, I think after years of being on narcotics and being in pain, I think it came, you know, I don't know if I have time to tell a quick story, yeah. but yeah. I this is the honest truth. I was I was on the back porch, I think it was maybe early afternoon and everybody was going to school and you know, I was on I think I was I had a boot trans patch on, I had I was taking morphine sulfate every six hours and i was also taking oxycodone in between in between so i was i might not be able to feel anything (laughs) i was kind of a walking zombie so uh but anyway i was on the back porch and um i I didn't really drink a whole lot but i had had a beer i was i had a beer in my hand and i had i think two 10 milligram percocets in my hand and uh, and i was and um I remember vividly looking at the pills in my hand going, you know, there's gotta be something more th- than this, than what I'm living. And, and that's, but I said, okay, well, I'm gonna take this, drink this beer and then we'll figure it out. So, <laughs> so that's what happened. I mean, it's literally what happened. So then after that point, I mean, that's really what happened. This yeah. is, is like, well, I'll worry about it, but I'm gonna take, drink the beer and take the pain meds and, We'll deal with it. But that's when I decided, well, something's got to change and I got to find what it is. And that's, that's kind of when I uh, stumbled across, I think I told you before, I stumbled across uh, the book, uh, Healing Back Pain by Dr. John Sarno. And uh, after reading that book, that's kind of when the, when everything changed. That's when I really began to believe that, that I could probably heal from this. Or if not, if not heal, manage it, manage it or, or, or in some way improve my, my, my being. And that's, that's kind of what, what happened, what ended up happening is I read that book and, and we can go into more detail about that. But um, well, I was going to say, what, was there anything specifically in that book? I mean, he's kind of a, I wouldn't say a pioneer because it really, it's not before I mean, pain neuroscience started being, you know, talked about in the 70s, just didn't become a popular kind of right. belief until we started running into a bunch of musculoskeletal pain in the 2000s. 
but what in particular in that book was there something like oh yeah it made sense it clicked or you think it was just time and place of you needed something and that was a good catalyst no i think really what it is and that it, you know his theory of you know suppressed emotions like rage um cause autonomic system mm-hmm. uh dysregulation and and a lot of times it's subconscious it's not in the conscious mind and the brain initially kind of puts up these defense mechanisms in essence to protect you from the yeah, emotions run amok. right and so and then and the problem is it's hard sometimes to bring these subconscious emotions to, to the conscious mind and so but really digging into that is how personality traits such as perfectionism people pleasing uh, you know all these things that I kind of saw my myself in these pages kind of like man, talking right to you. It's like, man, this is you know, some of my upbringing, uh, you know, just this frustration in my career. Like, it I kind of all had imploded at this, and it all made perfect sense mm-hmm. to why, why this, this may be occurring. And, and that's where I really began to, like, oh, this is, this is it. This is, mm-hmm. this has got to be it. What was some other stuff that you started looking into after his book? Um, after his book, I think I read like all his books. Mm-hmm. Essentially, I think there's the divided mind, best ones, the mind body prescription, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, but, uh, it's just that is, are you good? Sorry, Michael. Um, but that's when I began to really, um, go on the search for this autonomic, this regulation kind of theory of, of why this may be going on. And, and I stumbled across an app called Curable Health. I don't know, I don't know if you've heard of it, mm-hmm. but basically it's kind of an app that helps people with chronic pain kind of go through different things, um, you know, different aspects of their life mm-hmm. and kind of it's actually has like exercises within it that you do on a daily basis to kind of take a, you know, just a, a, a good look at what's going on in your life mm-hmm. and how these variables can be playing into your, your, your issues. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, so I was, I, I found the app and I started doing these exercises and a lot of it involved, uh, some of it is meditation, uh, meditations, especially when you feel kind of, uh, uneasy really anxious kind of learning to turn down the nervous mm-hmm. system because uh, that's really what this is all about is turning down the nervous system and, and and that's when they i found out about curable groups and so curable groups is a 12-week program where you you know once a week you have a facilitator at the time it was on zoom it is on zoom uh now but uh it's so you're meeting with uh, a facilitator and then people from around the world that suffer from chronic pain. I think it's a group of 12 of us. And every, it, and every week you have like a, uh, some topic, like one is like a de- identity. Another one is like childhood trauma, like all these things to take a look at to kind of see what, how this affects you. And you have exercises mm-hmm. within that. And then you talk about it as a, mm-hmm. as a group. And it's so, the same group for the whole, for the whole 12, whole 12 weeks. Cool. And so that part of that just really opened my eyes to really learning that, hey, this is this more and more and more how, you know, my, I had lost my identity, who I was. And, but really, that really wasn't my identity. It was just something that I had made like a wall. Yeah. Put up or, yeah. And then going back to, you know, childhood issues of things, nothing really bad happened to me, but just, you know, normal. Normal frustrations, how you formulate your subconscious right on the environmental right. stresses, strains. Yeah. And, and so, and some of it too is just, you know, learning, you know, gratefulness and all these other things that kind of go along the lines of we, cause when you're in pain, you're in this absolutely frustrated state of mind that, mm-hmm. that, you know, when your pain is 10 out of 10 every day. I mean, you're, you're searching for anything and everything that's going to help you. And so, but this is, but this program kind of really, and, and they have, um, physician facilitators that come on that specialize in this. And I think what they're calling now my body medicine, mm-hmm. they come in and kind of help have discussions with you and you can ask any questions. So, 
Uh, that was really useful in, in my recovery. And that's, and that's when I really began to, to learn to turn down mm -hmm. the, the system. And really the key too was to not become so hyper vigilant about every single thing in my body. So then that's, cause that's the other thing that really was hard for me was anything that felt funny or twitched or did anything all of a sudden my mind was right in front of the sun. Yeah. And so, so that was really learning how to, you know, deal with, deal with some of the things in your life that maybe you wouldn't have thought of that could be the reason why you're having this, mm -hmm. this, this regulation or this regulation. And so that was really useful. And so after that, it was kind of since then, it's like I weaned myself off narcotics and I began moving again. Um, and, and that's kind of been, I guess that was about three years ago, I think when I did that program. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, it becomes like a daily practice. It's daily, you know, sometimes journaling about mm -hmm. how you feel. That's what I was going to ask. So just uh, for somebody that's listening, that's like never done this, but maybe dealing with this. So you said meditation, but like, what were some of your like main things like that you either still do or you're like, I, these are like my go-tos. Um, I think, I think the, the biggest thing I think in dealing with this, Neurodysregulation, I think, if that's what we're yeah. calling it, is is movement. I think that was really the biggest thing. I think you get when you get in a hypervigilant state in in pain, you just don't want to move because mm -hmm. it hurts. Everything hurts, and so you have to learn to you know kind of move slowly, become outcome independent. Meaning, okay, this is going to hurt a little bit, but I can deal with it. And yeah. then gradually increase your activity. And that kind of helps, gives you that dopamine hit to kind of settle things down. And so that really was enough, like I could move and move again. And mm -hmm. so that was a big one. Uh, other things would be, would be meditation. I think it, I began to meditate, you know, in the mornings and then the evenings. And then, and then, you know, when I began to feel very uneasy, then mm -hmm. taking the, what I call now a momentary pause and say, Hey, I need to take a time out and, mm -hmm. and go and, 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 and breathe a little bit. And that, and that, and I think we, we even did lots of discussions about mm -hmm. breathing, uh, but started doing that, uh, as well. Uh, and I think the journaling aspect of that was really important in the beginning because it kind of really, because the type of journaling that I ended up learning to do, you know, you can sit there. I, I don't like to journal and just, this is how I feel. Right. You know, it, it's really in essence of if we're trying to get up, get out the subconscious emotions and feelings, then we've really got to write things on how you feel, like mm -hmm. literally how you feel. And if you're angry at somebody, then you write, Hey, I'm angry at this person and this is why. And then you just get out all the, mm -hmm. you know, cussing all the whatever it is that you need to to really get make sure you're getting these thoughts out and mm -hmm. then and then afterwards you tear up tear it up because you've got your thoughts on paper and gone done now it's, it's not a magic it's not yeah. a magic but it's it's definitely something to outside manifestation of what you would hope like meditation is doing right like yeah. the thought presents itself and you're able to just like observe it and be like yep so, yeah, yeah. And that's the whole thing is it really is too, is really learning to you're not your thoughts because that's the constant mm -hmm. war um, that I had and I still have it. I mean, it, I mean, I, it would be a lie for me to sit here with you and say, like, I don't have pain. Right. I do have pain. I have some days I have bad pain, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things where it's just not, it's just not something that's going to disrupt my life as it, as it wants to. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but yeah, those are some of the people, some of the things that I do um, to kind of help downregulate my system. What, so I always, I mean, we've talked a lot about this. One of my things that, you know, and I don't know for sure, cause it's just like outside observations. Like you talk about, you know, childhood trauma and kind of like these subconscious, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, walls or whatever, you know, palaces that we build. Like I always think about people that are in like, you know, third world countries. I mean, the stressors on them compared to what we have are technically a lot greater. Now I'm not going to say that you don't see it because maybe they just don't have the ability to present with it because mm -hmm. 
right. it wouldn't be available to say, Hey, I'm in pain all the time. Cause you're just worried about where you're eating you know, mm-hmm. that night. Like, do you have any theories as to why this is becoming so prevalent outside of like mainstream stuff? Right. We kind of think like, man, we're moving less overall. So now the ability for pain to become yeah. greater, like, is there anything that you've kind of thought about? You're like, man, I really think that this is why we're seeing more of this or this happened to me outside of just like, you know, past trauma and kind of subconscious viewing. Um, I, I, I think what I believe is, is I think we have become, because a lot of this work that you, that, that you do is, is really kind of going and digging into a part of yourself that maybe you don't like to, to see or you don't want to see. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a lot of that, stems from I mean we all have ugly parts right we Mm -hmm. all have this part of us that we don't want you know I don't want my beard to know about who Daniel Marvel really putting the mask on right but see that's and I think to me I think we're kind of in this part of where people just aren't really good at being authentic they're really not good at being real and I think and some of that I think is obviously a good thing in some ways, but also it can very, very be very detrimental to your health because yeah. if you're if you're really not able to be emotionally mature and to be able to deal with the things that are in what I call your shadow self, mm-hmm. that 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 you really you really can you really can end up suffering for a long time. And I think there's yeah. a lot of we're just not good in 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 my opinion, in feeling our emotions and being authentic and being mm-hmm. real. And, and it's that fear of letting people know who we are. And, and, and if it, a lot of people say, and I agree with it, like fear, fear is the fuel for, for chronic pain. I mean, because mm-hmm. we fear everything. Yeah. And so, so I don't know if that's a good enough answer. No, I, I don't think it's, I mean, yeah, you think about, Social media creates a ability for people to front that like, you know, which we know that's just facade, but then like you think about how transactional and fast paced stuff is, right? Mm-hmm. Like I need to be able to communicate and, you know, fight the interference and noise of all the stuff coming in. So it's less conversations like this, less authentic conversations, mm-hmm. but then also, I mean, people don't have as many interactions yeah. socially. So that doesn't even present itself. Right. And like one thing that all, I've been very aware of, and I'm sure this happened to you at some point, maybe a little bit different, but like I would come home from work because we're in a, maybe mine's a little more social than yours was an emergent setting, mm-hmm. right? Because I have to kind of create a little more buy-in and somebody just gets wheeled in on a gurney. But like I would go home some days and like, I don't talk to my wife. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, dude, I'm done. Like yeah. I did my social thing. That's not good at all. And we both do the same thing. So yeah. you get two people that she's very social. I'm a little more like I'm going to recharge mm-hmm. the other way. I mean, I just, I saw that like that can't happen, you yeah. know, and that's, you just got to be aware of those things and, you know, kind of push away from like what feels good for me, which would be just go sit by myself and, you know, hang out. Yeah. And I'm like, this is great, but not great for a relationship. So I'd a hundred percent agree with that. Well, and I think when you're in pain, your tendency is to isolate. Like yeah. you don't, you're, you're a victim. All of a sudden you're miserable and it's just you. Well, you would even voice to me a couple of times that, nobody you know whether it's family like you're like nobody understands like yeah i'm in pain and everybody keeps telling me that it's this or that or whatever and you're like they just don't get it yeah and i'd be like i know what you mean but i can't like yeah it's in token so that's i you're putting yourself on an island because that's what you feel like is going on yeah and it's crazy how i mean you can get so lost in isolation because you get lost in your mind and and it's just a very miserable dark place to be if you allow yourself to go there and and i can tell you that i mean in that isolation it's i mean there were times when i was definitely near suicidal because it was that bad because i really felt that no one understood no one knew what was going on and here i am by myself having to fight fight this Mm -hmm. war that you know my wife can't understand you know, which goes right back into humans are social beings. So if yeah. you're socially isolated for whatever reason, yeah. and then you like do it to yourself or not really do it to yourself, you just feel like that's what mm-hmm. needs to happen. Like we know that's like the, one of the worst things, right? Yeah. For a human, 
Um, and I've had numerous patients that I didn't, I mean, I'm never going to know, but I didn't realize how much their pain was affecting their entire life until they voiced the same thing of like, I was on the verge and I think it's normal because I normalize pain, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I deal with. I'm like, well, this isn't that bad, right? Like, right. get over it, or not get over it, but like, we got these tools. Right. And then if it is a, you know, a pain neuroscience case, like, hey, we, we managed this way, but then for them, it's like, you know, at least you had the medical background, which may have harmed you in a lot of ways because yeah. yeah. you missed I that. Yeah. But then also helped you in the end to maybe understand it better, which is, kind of coming out the back end of this, like now you went beyond just reading books and done some self-study, um, took a, was it a course or like an online study? It was, uh, it was, it's a, like it's a mind body practitioner mm-hmm. core certification that I took. And that's through University of Michigan or Michigan State? No, no, this is out of a university. Okay. It's called the Mind Body Fitness Institute. Okay. I think it's out of Australia, Australia actually. Yeah. Um, because I've had a lot of time. I've taken. There's a lot of good people in in uh, in this field right now. A, lot, um, a few of them is Howard, Dr. Howard Schuchner, David Hanscom, uh, David Schechter, um, and I have taken classes with Dr. Schuchner. I was actually in a support group with Dr. Hanscom. Uh, his book, I think, is the Doc, the Doc Journey. Um. And, you know, these people are so wise to this epidemic of chronic pain and and they're on such a mission that I believe in is I think chronic pain is is a solvable problem. Mm -hmm. It's just problem is is it takes a long time and that's and it's. Well, widely outside of the traditional medical right. model, which is always tough to be down. Because my, my my one of my best stories with Doctor Hanscom is is he he was a spinal surgeon out in I think Seattle or California, and essentially he developed a program where if people came in and they had unless they had a surgical emergency, mm-hmm. he would not operate on them. He would call he would get them in his program called prehab, mm-hmm. and what they would what he do is essentially like okay. I'm not 100% sure this is your problem, maybe, but this is what we're going to do. We're going to learn to do active meditation. We're going to do the, the journaling, and we're going to settle down your nervous system because right now your, your nervous system is screaming. Mm-hmm. And and so they would do six weeks of prehab and then come back, and he said like majority of his patients would pain was so low that they wouldn't do surgery. If not, they were pain free. Right. And so he essentially, you know, he says he put himself out of business in some ways because, because he realized number one, like spinal surgeries aren't that successful. Mm-hmm. I think I can't remember the last look that I looked at, but I think it's maybe 20, 30%. Yeah. If you have an extrusion or sequestration on the nerve, like, which is pretty easy to pick up an exam, yeah. I would say really high success rate of discectomy. Like, yes, really. Right. Outside of that, I mean, it's, yeah. yeah. I think spot fusion may have been what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's a movement that, you know, I'm hoping to just with my future in this will be to help people with chronic pain. And, uh, and I'm obviously in the works of trying to figure all this out because I think sometimes when you get in, into deep holes, like, <laughs> with disability and some of these other things that it's really, it's a, kind of a hard hole to dig, dig out of. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I think I'm on a mission to help people, you know, kind of help cure, cure chronic pain myself. Because I mean, I, I think I, I, I don't want people to have to suffer like I had to suffer. And my, my goal is to kind of help people kind of see like, this is a problem that you can solve and maybe, maybe we get you 40% less pain. Well, isn't that better than much better management strategy? Right. You know, than, 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 you know, where you are. The the big issue is the knowledge gap, right? Like, yeah, just a, in the medical world, there's huge knowledge gap. And then if you go out to the lay public, I mean, that's gigantic chasm. And then if we back up to the spinal surgeon that kind of went down the route of like putting himself out of business, a couple of things that I always think about in practices, a lot of data shows that 
whether it's conservative or you know non-conservative care for pain, musculoskeletal issues, back pain, uh, intervention usually makes people worse. Yep. If we do nothing, you're usually better off. Around 60% get better with nothing. Yeah. Versus we actually make people worse if we intervene, even if it's thinking that we're doing the right thing. So you see stuff like that in my profession, your prof- like it kind of makes you like, what, what are we doing? Yeah. So the first thing is, which I'm always harping on, and I think my, one of my missions is like we need way better diagnosticians overall, which then you have to be aware of all the possibilities of what's creating pain. So you have to be highly aware of this stuff. And if you can, um, Michael Shacklock, who created Neurodynamics, talks about hospitals. Like, well, is somebody in the neurodynamics hospital or McKinsey mm-hmm. or pain neuroscience? Or, and if you put somebody in the right hospital, you're going to have way better results overall, right? You got mm-hmm. put into the wrong hospitals mm-hmm. for a long time, which then probably catalyzed your scenario in the negative versus if you had started in the right one, may not have been like a home run still, yeah. but like you wouldn't have had to go through all those other steps and maybe made it harder or at least make it took longer. Well, I'm not, I totally agree. I think I was my own enemy. I think. The more interventions that we did or I attempted, the more frustrated I got when they didn't work. Right. Thus, that internal rage and anger and frustration just was off the charts. It was normal. Yeah. You think about it. Absolutely. And that's, I get it too, because people come in here usually four, six, seventh down the line. Which sometimes makes our job easier Mm because we've done a bunch of stuff, but then sometimes it makes your job harder because like if you don't hit a home run, Mm-hmm. you know right away or something like people are just already in their head like spun up and you may know exactly what's going on but like you said you gotta be ready to heal you gotta be ready to have an internal intervention or something like mm-hmm. that and that's where uh going back to the surgeon now a big part of like prerequisites for surgery are these resiliency scores mm-hmm. they wouldn't even do surgery on you if they know that like well you're just not a great candidate for like yeah. how you're gonna bounce back even if they know you need the surgery yeah like a osteotomy in your hip or something like you just don't handle this stuff. Well, yeah. Now, that's what you could try to change, right? Which yes. is meditation, general movement, other lifestyle factors around health. But um, that's really hard to sell in our practice because people expect musculoskeletal stuff when they come yeah. in. So you start talking about that and they're like, I'm not paying you for that. Yeah. Well, people expect an immediate yeah. results. And that's, you know, uh, that's what I expect. <laughs> that's what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, but that's what also you, especially that's what you had delivered in emergent setting medical care. Yes. Literally immediate results or they're triaged out and you just knew like, boom. So like, again, so many factors that just led to like your subconscious being like, well, if this isn't solved, what the hell's going on? And the further you got away from figuring it out, the worse it got for you, which is chronic pain in essence. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely, you know, looking back at it now, it's, I tell people all the time it's it's one of those journeys that I'm th- you know you'd be say you'd be saying are you crazy that you were thankful for that and I was like well I wish it wouldn't have gone the way that it did but also at the same time I, I am grateful for it because it's it taught me a lot about myself it taught me a lot, a lot about my resiliency my mm-hmm. strength the you know. And, and conquering doubt and fear mm-hmm. in my life, and and so that's you know I'm thankful for it. In that in that in essence of it has been very it's been a good thing. It's really helped me see who I am and be the person that you know is not running around the emergency room angry screaming at people because they're not getting things done and having more and and really seeing seeing people being able to see and read people. You know, not just from, hey, you know, you're coming into the emergency room because you have migraine headaches. How great is a migraine headache? No, it's they have a headache. But so what's really going on in your life? And I think that's really in essence, like a lot of times with the medical model doesn't do very well at is, is, oh, oh, gosh, we have here we are. We have headaches or we have abdominal migraines or, you know, all these different kind of somatic complaints but really what these patients need is they need somebody to say hey what's really going on in your life what what could be some things that are stressing you or you know who knows it it could be multifactorial but i you know now when when i go back if that's the direction i go then that that would be kind of more of how i practice is really getting to understand maybe the core reason why these 
somatic compliance. Yeah, we're really good at detaching the human from pathology. Yeah, which is not how it works at all. I mean, literally at all. Well, because I practice, I definitely practice is the mind and the body are two different organisms. And that's how it was. Like, yeah. If you're, if you're having been taught that system, like, I mean, we're just now learning, like, you know, that how much systems play off one another. I mean, just think of like gut microbiome stuff. And I mean, I just read research the other day that like they're thinking most thyroid dysfunction is like gut related, not mm -hmm. just thyroid. So we're still learning like how interconnected stuff is. It's just funny when we pluck out somebody's appendix and we're like, don't need that thing. And it's like, eh, probably do, mm -hmm. you know, but we just, we've always been kind of in these like silos. And again, like, I think the regression is the better you, like you said, like reading people, well, what's that like better understanding humans. And then you understand like, well, pathologies reside within this like really complex organism. Like right. it's tough. Like that makes your job really tough. Yeah. But like if you owe to that instead of just like, well, no, I'm going to hone in on this. Like I've been really jealous of, you know, a friend of mine here that's a general surgeon. I'm like, you're like the most like practical application of medicine, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody comes in with a enlarged spleen or something that's very British, take it out. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's kind of cut and dry, but he literally is voiced. That's why I picked that. He goes, everything else is just so great. It doesn't make mm -hmm. any sense to me. Yeah. Which is, I was just like blown away. It's super smart guy. He's like, yeah, I had to cho like choose that because he knew everything else was just like not the way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> well, if a gallbladder is bad, you take it that, like you said, gallbladder, yeah. I mean, yeah, the broken bones. I mean, that stuff is, it's, it is what it is. Black and white. Black and white. But these, you know, weird kind of, you know, that's the thing is just this weird progression of symptoms. And, you know, there's a lot of good books out there, but one is, you know, they can't find anything wrong with me. I think I forgot David. I can't forget the number of the author of that, but, you know, they really go into these patients that been through the medical model and mm -hmm. they, but they end up getting these interventions and stuff that, you know, they really didn't need. But, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to, now that's one thing I, when I when I started up down this track and looking into this, I'm going. I've been telling myself, going, man, I'm kind of changing a lot of what I believe. <laughs> you know, it, it really is because it's a theory that a lot of a lot of people not they're not gonna they don't really agree with. So it's yeah, they can still hear the information, but they're not willing to change. Which yeah. is, I think, uh, just a good trait to have human especially if you're going to be in medicine because again you can uphold your whole practice just being very bias confirming mm -hmm. right even though you may say you're not but that's when you get on shaky ground that's i mean you know go tell a bunch of spine surgeons here in town what the guy in seattle found and you know they're going to probably visually fight you because that's what pays their mortgage and yeah. all that stuff so it's it's tough i mean we even you know i tell our intern at the stuff like our job is to not confirm your bias every day which can be tough because then you're like, again, should I intervene with this person? You mm -hmm. know, should I? Sometimes I have to literally make the choice now. I'm not even going to touch that person just because I know by doing that, even though I could help them, changes their, you know, uh, the feedback loop on what they think is actually happening. Mm -hmm. Right. And you just got to be, I mean, again, it's reading the person. It's not just, hey, this is what they need and that's what I'm going to do. No, like it's, it's N equals one for sure. You know? I think definitely with people that have chronic pain and what, and what, what I, what I've come to is, is that it's kind of, you know, three pillars for me. It's first of all, you have to have knowledge. You have to have knowledge that this is what's possible mm -hmm. going on in your life. The, the, this theory of somatic, you know, somatic complaints or, or emotional based or mm -hmm. what have you. And then, Having action steps would be the second one of having a toolkit of these are the things that I can do to help, you know, turn down the volume mm -hmm. of, of my pain. And then I think the last part for me is just learning how to, to go live and have fun, live life again. And so that part I'm still learning, but um, <laughs> reintegrating into society. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's, that's kind of, you know, my, my moving forward is, is, you know, is applying those own, those principles in my life yeah. on a daily basis so that I can get back to where I need to be. But then you're, you already are planning on starting to kind of help people based on mm -hmm. that like principle approach. Yes. No, that's, that's, you know, there's going to be some, you know, a lot of this is, you know, fear. Again, if I go back to the same, same, the fears, the fuel, like I have, I do have a lot of fear because, you know, this is a, a 
part of medicine that you know it isn't necessarily well accepted but mm-hmm. it's also something that i firmly believe in and it's am i gonna be rejected am i gonna you know all these things but yeah. and the thing is that fear that anxiety is what causes pain and mm-hmm. so so the struggle that i have is kind of a unique you know not unique i call it unique but it's just one of those things where it's it's, it's like man if i do this and you know, I have this, this is going to happen. I'm going to hurt or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just like part of this whole process is, is leaning into those things mm-hmm. and, and doing it. And so, so yeah, I mean, my goal, there's going to be some things probably in the next, I'm hoping in the next few months mm-hmm. to get some things going um, uh, on Instagram and then uh, maybe some coaching, uh, you know, right now, you know, just, if anybody, I'm kind of just, if anybody wants to talk and mm-hmm. and about this kind of stuff and, you know, need some help, I, I'm definitely available to do that. So well, I'd love to do it. Uh, talking unique, I mean, it's a unique scenario that you get. I mean, there's a lot of people doing chronic pain to get somebody that's been in the medical profession. That's where the uniqueness for me comes in because I'm excited you're doing this, A, for an awesome referral source, but like you walk in the path of being in medicine, having it happen to you, coming out the back end, which I know it's not the back end, it's a process, but right. of like now wanting to use all that to kind of help people the same thing. I mean, that's the rarity, right? Mm-hmm. And so people go through it, but they don't have the, not that you have to have the classical training per se, because there's a lot of people out there doing stuff like this nowadays, with no training, whether it's nutrition or mm-hmm. chronic pain, but like it helps yeah. a lot for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with that for sure, man. We'll definitely be sending people your way. Um, any last bits of wisdom? Man, uh, there's lots of wisdom that I could, I would like to impart, but to people, but I think, I think that's the thing with people that have pain is, you, you, there is hope. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing. You know, I think a lot of people that end up in these scenarios just kind of lose hope that there's no help. There's no, you know, there's, you know, no, I, it's even hard. I get it kind of emotional when yeah. I talk about it. It's just huge. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, when you get to the, you know, the abyss and you're down there and you're going, man, I'm never coming out of this. Uh, and you don't even know a way out. That's, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, but that's, you know, the big message that I want to get across is, is that there is hope and that you, and which you, you have to dispel unbelief. You have to, you know, believe that, that you can and it's doable. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, my story isn't quite finished yet, but, you know, I, I would say with you as walking along the side of me this whole time and say that the progression is far, far better now than it was, you know, seven years ago when I was walking in here as a zombie. But, but no, I mean, that's, that's the thing is that there is hope and that it can be done. It's, there's just, there's just some work that has to be done mm-hmm. and just biggest thing is becoming the awareness of, of what's going on. And I think that's the biggest key of all that is if we go down this model and, you know, the medical model or what have you, and things aren't working, then, Hey, you know, maybe it's something else. And mm-hmm. that's the awareness. And yeah. then you have to come to awareness and we have a lot of patients are going to have to find that out for themselves, yeah. which is not how it should be, but that's how it's going to be for a while. Yeah. Um, and one thing I do want to point out here because you are the first patient to come on the podcast. There's a lot of docs out there that listen to this. I had zero, uh, I would say not input, but zero, um, the outcome, right? So where you're at now, I think I had zero because like I was doing musculoskeletal stuff. We had discussions. Why I say that is you had to find out on your own, which sucks, even though I, you know, I don't think it was a guide at all. I think you always pulled the information yourself. But if there's practitioners out there, like you need to be well equipped, you know, not that I wasn't like I was well aware of pain neuroscience and mm-hmm. chronic pain, but like that doesn't mean that, that I'm going to be able to treat you, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's where you still have to be able to triage. And that's there in my opinion, in our community, there isn't, like mm-hmm. there is nobody that I could refer to besides pain management, like mm-hmm. classic traditional pain management that I could refer to in this scenario. Right. That's the, like the big downfall of the system right now. Right. That's yeah. why like you coming in doing what you're doing. Cause even if I knew how to triage, you're going, 
elsewhere in the nation, which we did talk about at a certain point. Yeah. So like, you can go do this, talk with these people. And that's, we need way more people doing what you're doing um, in the face of, you know, not only chronic pain, but I mean, opioid epidemic, musculoskeletal pain is the biggest burden in the world. Low back pain is the biggest cause of like missed work in the world. I mean, there's just a tidal wave of stuff that's only growing and getting worse. And like, this is a huge part of it, but it's still just not part of it. So it's like, mm-hmm. we all got a job to do for sure. But thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. I'm trying to hope that sounds somewhat articulate. I'm yeah. not very good at fantastic and the cool thing is maybe we'll start doing more of these patient stories with like specific stuff like this so people realize like oh there's like again like there's so much information out there now but like i'm not going to say misinformation just the pervading information on pain injuries treatment is just really not great and it's still archaic 20 30 years ago um so i think it's cool that you're going to be you know putting information out there and also doing work in the community so and that's the thing it's like i don't i i've gone I've gone away from the theory that we just have to manage chronic pain. I think we can, we can, you know, get over it or, mm-hmm. or heal it. It's just, yeah, takes time. Absolutely. So, well, cool. Thanks again, man. Yeah, appreciate man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yep.